Welcome to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm here in Gothenburg, Sweden with Leif Matson. Leif, thanks for being with us. Good to be here. <laughs> Leif, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you came into the church. Your, your parents were members. Did they convert or they were the first generation? Absolutely. How did that come about? Uh, in 1915, my grandfather, who was a was uh, an officer at the castle in Stockholm. Okay. Riding. At the Royal at, Castle? Uh, yeah, Royal Castle. Okay. And he got back to Philipstad in Värmland. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to marry his sweetheart, uh, Hildegard Skogsberg. Okay. And uh, that was not approved by his father. So he did not uh, get any... Um, was it called dowry? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but he married her, and he uh, they had uh, three daughters, and then one son, and then they moved to Göteborg okay. to get some great work. And in 1923, uh, tw- the missionaries knocked at the door. He was home. He was sick for the first time probably in his life. He's your grandfather. Grandfather Oscar okay. Fredrik Matson. Okay. And uh, my grandma opened the door and, uh, and uh, she just closed it and came back and he asked uh, her uh, who was at the door and, he's, and she said, well, there are so many, you know, weird people running these days at the doors. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he said, he felt immediately an imp- impression that go and find them. Hmm. So she actually did that, and she found them and brought them back, and uh, they were taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in 1923, they were baptized. Six months later, my father, who was the youngest, was baptized with his sister, and then another six months later, which was a year after the first baptism, the other two older sisters were baptized. Okay. Any idea why those two older sisters took a little bit longer? No. I think, um, you know, I, I don't understand why they were not baptized all at the same time. I think my dad was 10. Okay. But I think maybe my grandpa felt it was important to, um, for them to get to know the gospel mm-hmm. and uh, attend church and really have a desire to become members of their own. Right. Uh, the two older daughters, uh, no, the oldest daughter, um, the two of the older daughters, left for the United States, mm-hmm. moved to Connecticut. Okay. They'd just been members of the church for like a couple of years. And they were working in homes of, uh, of uh, rich people. And uh, I think that the idea was that my grandpa wanted to bring his entire family over to Zion. And the first stop would be New York, and they would go mm-hmm. in advance. That okay. never happened. Everybody else stayed here. Yeah, my, my grandpa said that he felt the Lord wanted him to stay. Mm-hmm. And my, my father said the same thing. And what year was this? 1923. When it was or, very, very common for people still to go. Yeah. Okay. I think that's the, that ended in the 1950s. Yeah, after World War, uh, after World yeah, War II. Yeah, sure. I think the prophet of the church said, uh, please uh, stay in your countries and build the kingdom. Okay. Yeah. So... Your dad was 10 when he was baptized. Um, 
how did he and your mother raise you in the church? How did they, how did they cultivate your testimony? How did you come to believe? Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting story. My dad was, was uh, serving as the district president in the Uteboy district, and he rode a motorbike. Winter, summer, any time of the year. And going to places like Karlstad, three and a half hours maybe, in the winter, and he gave wow. us many stories about that. You know, mm -hmm. something happened to the, to the motorbike. He had to walk for like 20 kilometers, praying that somebody would uh, help him. And, and it was answered many times. And in miraculous ways, he was helped to sort of get on his way and get back to his home. He had newspaper inside to keep the cold off. <laughs> He had a weird sort of thing on his head, and he had sort of a plastic thing in front of him to keep the wind away. But when he came home, he was like, we, I remember as a kid, I saw him coming into a small two-room apartment, standing against the, uh, uh, what does it called? Elev <laughs> the, the, to get his, his hands warm. Uh -huh. On the radiator. On the radiators. Uh -huh. and, you know, he was almost blue in his face, you know, because of the cold. Uh -huh. And he could stand like that for 30 minutes to, to thaw out. <laughs> and then my mom had some food for him and so forth. But what did my mom do when he was traveling all the time on Sundays? She, we didn't have the, the money to buy tickets to go on a tram or a bus to church but it was three miles or five kilometers one way. In those days, we went in the morning, mm -hmm. then went back after Sunday school, and then went back for the evening sacrament meeting, and then went back after that. And I remember she got us dressed in the morning, and my father was gone, and uh, as was the common thing, and then we would walk together. And we were just small kids, my twin brother and I, and my two older brothers, and we asked her, you know, can't we get a, can't we get on a bus? And can't we get on the tram? Can't we, you know, go? You know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to walk like this. This is, I'm so tired, mm -hmm. little boy. And my mother's response was, let's sing a song. And we would sing songs, walking, to church back and forth like that. So that's a tremendous foundation for me uh, to think about her and her wonderful testimony and also her way of, of looking after the boys to bring them to church. It was important. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have the money to drive a car. We, I was probably about 12 when we had a car and we could get to church in a better way. But... Um, that's, that's sort of the upbringing I had for many, many years, just walking to church because it was important. Yeah. When do you feel like you got your own testimony? Was it, was it very gradual or are there certain experiences that serve as anchors? I've always felt that I've had a testimony, that I knew what my grandfather and my father and my mother, when they taught us to pray about God, about religion, about our faith, about the pioneers, <laughs> and about all the wonderful things in the gospel that it was true, I always felt that. But I did read the Book of Mormon. My father always told the boys, mm -hmm. you have to 
get your own testimonies. And he sometimes asked us, and my mother did too, uh, what would happen if we would not be here anymore? Would you still go to church? Would you still sort of live the commandments? Would you follow our example? And so forth. And we, so I read the Book of Mormon from first to last page when I was 14. Mm-hmm. I still have that little book at home, and I've, I've written down the date when I finished it. Mm-hmm. And I did it very quickly. I did it like in, in about a month or six weeks. And I was, I was so filled uh, when I read it that I do remember that when I prayed to the Lord about the prophet Joseph Smith, that he did answer that this is his true gospel of Jesus Christ. This is his work. I could sense that and I knew that. And since then, I've always felt that way. And uh, also, when I was 19 and graduated from the gymnasium, as we call it, higher, upper high school, <laughs> I was, my goal was to go to BYU. And um, in those days, I didn't talk too much about going or serving on a mission. I, I knew some people that did serve on missions. On a mission, and uh, I, I always felt that maybe I should. Mm-hmm. Of course, my parents talked about this, but never really chased us or, or mentioned it too often. But they, they felt that the it was a wonderful thing to do, mm-hmm. you know. And they loved the missionaries. We had the open house in our home for the missionaries every time, you know, mm-hmm. every year. And we loved the missionaries for sure. And we had all these great stories about their families and what they've done and so forth. But at BYU, I got a tremendous testimony. Uh, I had the courses that I took was Joseph Smith and the Restoration and the Book of Mormon. and met some of the best, the most wonderful men in my life. Uh, professors at BYU have written books about the history of the church with the prophet Joseph Smith. I loved the prophet Joseph Smith. And I used to go down to their offices after the courses, and I just kept asking questions and loved the response that they received. Was there anything <clears throat> when you were a young child that was very much, you know, felt right? You, you trusted your parents, you trusted your grandpa, and then, and then you find yourself in more of an academic environment, which is still yeah. very, very church-oriented. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but I have to imagine that this was a much more deep dive into the history of the church and things like that. Did you uncover anything in those times that was surprising to you? Uh, I've heard about polygamy. I've heard about all these things that do trouble some people these days. Uh-huh. I thought it was intriguing. You know, I was intrigued. I loved to delve into it, and I didn't see, I felt that everything was in uh, totally normal when I read the Old Testament and the stories about David and all the other prophets, and, uh, and Moses and many others, that the Lord commanded certain, certain things at certain times, and uh, so I felt it was just normal. and. Um, when I also found out more details about it, it never bothered me at all. That they talked about uh, several wives or that Joseph Smith was sealed to several women and so forth. I never felt, it never bothered me at all. Mm-hmm. I always felt that that was totally normal. 
It was the way it was in the past, and it's going to be like this when the restoration of the gospel has been, you know, been done, completed. Absolutely. And and do you think that what, what made it normal then was that God had commanded? Yeah, God commanded these great patriarchs for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And he did the same thing when we restored the church. He commanded the prophets for a great purpose. And to raise seed, but as the Book of Mormon says, in other times when he's not uh, commanding this, it is not allowed. Mm-hmm. So that was totally normal to me. Consistent with what you'd read in, in yeah. both the, yeah. the Bible Very and the consistent. Book of Mormon. Now you served, you, you sat on the stand for 30 plus years of your life. Um, finding yourself, I'm sure, in, in lots of conversations with people who maybe have come to you as a bishop or a stake president and they're going through a challenge or they're going through, you know, maybe they've encountered some information that is troubling to them. Um, what, what, what perspective do you bring to those kind of conversations and how do, you, how do you help people who you're ministering to who might be struggling with some element of their testimony? Well, I've, I've been going through a process uh, myself to become better as a counselor because people do have questions and uh, it's not the typical response would not be to read more uh, scriptures or pray more or harder right you know but you have to i understand you have to love somebody you know you have to love them of course but the next thing would be to be to show empathy em- empathy mm-hmm. and to listen uh, there's so many people that have felt that they cannot stand or remain in the church. I know some of them that left the, you know, this, the ward where I was a bishop or the stake. Mm-hmm. But uh, they go out, if they leave the church, they go out and they meet them. I see them on Facebook, and I'm still their friends, mm-hmm. but I see that they gather, they mm-hmm. get together, mm-hmm. they have a forum where they talk about us. <laughs> <laughs> they're talking about what's going on. They're very interested because when I meet them, they always ask questions. Uh, I guess you're still active and faithful mm-hmm. and so forth. And I, I am. But uh, so they found their forum where they can share their feelings. I, I, I sometimes we will reach. I hope that the church will open up in such a way that it will be a forum for these people to feel welcome to come to church and feel empathy and feel that people are listening. I actually, I, I don't think I can tell anybody, you know, what to do anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you like you used to? If they have some specific questions, I used to tell them. And I used to give them all kinds of uh, advice. And that really doesn't work. Uh, they need to be listened to. Mm. And if that's hard, if if you're married to somebody, if you have a divorce, there's a sort of open cut, it's mm-hmm. a sore situation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you need some time. It's going to have to, you, it's going to go some time before you can actually, uh, you know, be able to be uh, listening uh, or be, you know, participating in somebody's deep feelings of particularly of things that you love, like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or the church, or the prophets, or the commandments. Mm-hmm. Um, so empathy, 
of course you have to love, but it's difficult. Uh, I've, I've seen this sometimes, people that are near to me, it's, it'll take some time before I'm you know, in a position myself where I can actually do that. Right. I'm still working at it. I can do it. Yeah, when the church is um, such a strong bond between two people, it, yeah. it can be hard yeah. sometimes to not take personally when somebody might yeah. you know, leave the church because that was such a strong common bond yeah. that you had that you no longer share. It's been yeah. severed. How can we do a better job? I mean, from your perspective, of, of, of showing empathy and of loving people and, and of creating yeah. a forum where, where it's okay to be on very different places of testimony and, and the covenant path, so to speak. Yeah. I've talked to people who have seen their uh, sons or daughters, they are married with grandchildren, leave the church. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when they are asked to look after the children, they bring them to church mm. for primary, mm -hmm. hoping that they will when they get when the parents get back, that they will ask the parents that I want to go back to primary. I love the I like I like it. I like their friends. Uh -huh. I think it's a matter of fixing your own feelings, not their feelings. So interesting. Okay, that's what I think. You know, but and you can't fix your own feelings. So that's why you can't really do things. You know, sort of try to make them remember the church or try to make them put them in a position where they have to. Wow, this is something that I lack in my life. Mm -hmm. I think that. It's harder, you know, it's, it's more complicated than that. And I think uh, you need to be in a position where you need to, I mean, if you're responsible for families as in the old days as a home teacher, you know, now you're just a minister, <laughs> you're ministering to people. You need just to be able to listen to them. Yeah. And if they ask for some help, because you can't show them anything, what to do, or give them pointers, or you can refer to things like common things, like reading the reading the the gospel of the scriptures, or pray. You can even include fasting and so forth. But uh, if they've sort of made a decision, it's, it's going to take some time. Sure. Yeah, but it's it, difficult to uh, the church is not ready, I think, for them to feel that way to come back because. You know, there's when they get here, they feel like they will be reminded of a lot of things that they don't possibly believe in or they don't want to do anymore. And, and it seems to me that maybe um, somebody who's left the church and might feel an interest uh, at whatever level of, of, of coming back, however, you yeah. know, often or seldom. Yeah. It feels like there might be some pain um, that could come along with that. How can we alleviate the pain just through, through that love and empathy? Yeah, I love. I've been thinking about love a lot. You know, you just love them, but you need to go further. Empathy. <laughs> you need to listen. Maybe I'm shut listening. up. <laughs> listen. Okay. And you can't say that much, but uh, there is a lot of pain. Yeah. There is a there's a lot of pain in me as well, particularly if they're family members. Mm -hmm. I've spent a lot of time I love a lot of hours on my knees praying for them and been uh, really sad it's changed my life something they they express feelings that they are in a position where they feel that we have turned their backs on them yeah but we we never really have but they feel like that they feel that we have because they are hurt 
and they had changed their opinion about the gospel of Jesus Christ and so forth. They always talk about that we live in a bubble. And I like to think that, you know, I'm grateful for that bubble. That's the Holy Ghost. I need that bubble. When I walk around in my everyday life, I need to be in that bubble. But I also need to be open to uh, people's needs and listen to them. And listen to them. Do you think it's that listening that helps us develop the empathy? I do. When we're still in a state of mind where we want to convince somebody yeah. that it's blocking our ability to, even if we yeah. love them, it's blocking yeah. our ability to have empathy. Yeah. And without empathy, it's going to be hard for us to make people feel welcome wherever they are yeah. on the faith journey. Yeah. As soon as I get into a situation where I argue about something, I sort of, I think I lose the spirit. And when I do that, uh, be agitated about something that I know is right and they believe it's not right, uh, I don't think it's right to be that way in a relationship with people. I think we need to listen. I need to shut up and I need to listen and be kind and loving. And I think they will love me for that. Well, that strikes me that that's the pattern that your grandfather sets with yeah. your father's sisters. Yeah. When yeah part of the family, when the family was baptized at varying points, when each individually was ready and when each individually made that decision yeah. to get baptized. I have some children who have visited some people that are close to us, you know, and that uh, one of my daughters had not seen them for many years. And all she did was to say, I'm Julia, the son of Eva, and uh, the daughter of Eva and Leif. Mm. Oh, Julia, and... Uh, she had her three sons with her, and they had a wonderful time together. And, and then uh, she's, they, they talked a little bit about Facebook, and they all sort of apologized that something sometimes is mentioned, which is negative towards the church, because mm. they know they would uh, sort of hurt her. Or, and she also said that, uh, that she would continue to post some positive things about her experience attending church right. with the children and some pictures and so forth. And they immediately felt, well, of course you should continue doing that. That's very important for you and so forth. But it was a wonderful, sweet spirit between them. And when they left, you know, when she left, they felt tremendously uh, pleased and happy and at rest. And for the future, I think that will be a great relationship. Yeah. That's beautiful, Leif. I, I really appreciate your insights on loving and showing empathy and listening. And, uh, and all of these, I think, are opportunities for all of us and as an institution for the church to grow and become more welcoming and empathetic to all of our brothers and sisters. So thank you very much, Leif. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate you taking the time. Thanks.